Romans chapter 12. If you take your Bibles and join me, Romans chapter number 12. Something that's not unusual for children, a little bit less common for adults. There may be some kind of a, a party or a gathering where it would be expected, but, but this is a common occurrence with children. In fact, in my house growing up when I was a kid, there was a bag or a little cardboard box and there were some things in it that were ours to use. And in fact, even when this was a box in our home with children, there were certain things that kids would go to and pull out of that box. You know, if you have a bunch of kids over at the house and children are playing, they would start to pull things from this toy box that were simply articles that were dress-up things. Now, when I was a kid, I had some of my dad's old police stuff. So there was a hat that we could use, the, the patent leather belt. I remember for, for quite some time, we had one of his old police belts. And, and I can still, in my mind, hear the sound that that belt would make when you'd wrap that big belt around your little waist several times and, and you'd play dress up. You're, you're presenting yourself as something that you truly are not, but you're, you're trying to look the part. And it's common for children, less common for adults, but still something that all of us understand. What we're looking at is just a representation of that which is not really true. You know, there, there would be some obvious understanding with that in our minds regarding what the Apostle Paul is addressing to the church in Romans chapter 12. We already understand that, that he said we're to do something with our bodies. He was beseeching us in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. You know, dearly beloved, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he begins to go on and he helps us understand what is this going to look like and how do I accomplish this and, and what would be something that is completely inconsistent for the person who has said, Lord, I give you my body, this living sacrifice. The title of our message today is Conformed or Transformed. But both of those are things that we understand, conformed. Again, when, when I was a kid and when so many of you were, there was something that you would get out of a little kind of a cardboard can and it was Play-Doh, and you would begin to squish and form and fashion that into whatever image. And they came with these little pieces that you could squish the Play-Doh in, and it would adopt the form of whatever mold you were pressing it into. Conform, that's the, the Play-Doh idea. But transformed, completely different idea. It's not that you're taking the, 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 the matter and pressing it into something. It's as if it literally changes from one thing into something completely different. It's been transformed into something that it was not. 
not just taking on some external fashion, but radically transformed. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse number two, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What we're going to notice in this passage, specifically verse number two, is we're going to notice this problematic conformity. And it is a problem and all of us get it. We understand that we are under constant pressure to conform. And then we're also going to see this powerful change. Something happens that does this work of change that is mind-blowing. This is transformational. And then we're also going to see a proven conclusion. We'll look at the first two today, and then we'll look at this proven conclusion, the, the, the will of God. We'll look at that next Sunday. Let's begin by looking at first a problematic conformity, a problematic conformity. You look again in your Bibles at Romans chapter 12, the first part of verse number two, and it says, and be not conformed to this world. The Apostle Paul is expressing this problematic conformity, knowing that believers, now please know, we're not talking to people who have never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're talking about believers, Christians, the children of God. He's understanding that believers could allow something, sources, influences into their lives that will reduce them. And let me emphasize that word. Reduce them to a life God never intended them to live. They are now experiencing a subpar existence. It is not the life that they want. It is not the life that God intended them to have. It is not the life of Jesus Christ birthed within them at the point of salvation. They're living a lesser life, something that no one sets out to purposefully pursue. There are a lot of things that we, we get it. We understand that is a cheap imitation of the real thing. Okay, now we, we know this. In fact, about a week ago on a Wednesday evening, I used illustratively a Rolex watch and then an imitation Rolex watch. We understand that there are a lot of things that are really valuable and, and sometimes people try to imitate the real thing. This is almost a reverse of that illustration. In other words, it's kind of like a Rolex watch that is trying to pass itself off as a cheap Casio watch. I looked recently at a, at a Rolex watch. I just saw it. I mean, I'm looking up the values of these and I saw a Rolex watch that is a $10,000 plus watch. 10 grand plus for a Rolex watch. And then I looked up a Casio watch and I can get one on Amazon for just over 13 bucks. Why in the world would someone put Casio on the Rolex and try to pass the Rolex off as a Casio? And yet that's what is happening in the lives of so many believers 
who are birthed in the person of Jesus Christ. They have become a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things becoming new. And yet, with this intrinsic value, there seems to be this constant pressure to be conformed into something of far lesser value. The word conformed, its, its basic idea is the word, the Greek word schema. Schema. It's the word that we get schematic from. Be not conformed. In other words, don't get your schematic. Don't get your diagram for living. Don't get your pattern for how to do life from the wrong source. He says, be not conformed. Don't get your plans for living from the wrong source. Because here's what's going to happen. We're going to start looking at this plan for life and, and it's going to start having bearing on our life. And we're going to feel squeezed in this area. We're going to feel pressured to do something that is woefully inconsistent with who we truly are. So he says, stop getting your pattern from the wrong source. The word conformed, it carries also the idea of being fashioned after. He's saying again, don't allow yourselves to be fashioned after the pattern, the schemes of this evil age. So the word conformed. There's another idea of it, not only this, okay, the schema, the, the schematic, fashioning, we get that as well. There's also another word that's connected to this, be not conformed. And it's the idea of masquerading. <clears throat> masquerading. Now, once again, <clears throat> we get the idea that a person has this mask on and we're having a hard time really figuring out who they are. L let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a circumstance or a setting and you were trying so desperately to fit in with the group you are with, but you came away from that, although there may have been laughter externally, you came away from it with some, I don't know, disjointed internal feeling. It, it was off. You were constantly trying to be something that you know truly you are not. You were masquerading as something inconsistent with who you truly are. The phrase then, be not conformed to this world, means you don't have an outward expression that doesn't reflect what is truly within. He's saying, don't let the world force its plans on you. It's inconsistent with who you are. There is a, a well-known commentator. His name's J.B. Phillips. He translates this little phrase as, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. In other words, don't take directions from the wrong source. Has the world ever succeeded in transferring mankind separate from God to God to give purpose, fulfillment, eternity, heaven, a hope? He's saying, well, no, the world's incapable of doing that. So stop looking to the wrong source to produce something it was never intended to provide. There's an old commercial, and I was thinking of it when I started to think about the, the mold that oftentimes we're pouring ourselves into. How many of you remember the old Jell-O commercial? 
the old Jell-O commercial, it said, um, I, I wanted to make sure I had it, yeah. Watch it wiggle, see it jiggle, cool and smoothie, Jell-O brand gelatin. Of all desserts, you'll love the one that tastes so light and makes such fun. Get Jell-O gelatin and make some fun, J-E-L-L-O. How many of you say, I have no idea what you're talking about, okay. Some of you started to raise your hand like, yeah, I know that. And then I said, no idea, and a lot more hands went up. Jello. Okay, listen, you can pour jello into anything and it's going to take on the mold that you pour it into. And then you have this fun, wiggly, jiggly little snack to nibble on. Literally, what this passage is saying is stop pouring your life into a mold inconsistent with who you are. Stop giving yourself to that which produces an external appearance that is nowhere close to related to who you truly are. The problem is, as followers of Christ, we are created as reflectors of someone. The Bible says in Genesis 5.1, in the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. You already have someone whose likeness you were created to reflect. And that likeness is not found in the world around us. The Bible says in Romans 6, 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Wow, I'm raised to serve with a likeness that reflects the person of Jesus Christ. So as I start to look at Jesus and I start to look at this world, this system, this pattern that's communicating some morality to it, these are vastly different likenesses. And if I've been born in him, he says, listen, you were created to reflect not both, but one And that's the person of Jesus Christ. In one sense, he's saying, stop allowing the world to have its way with you. Stop allowing the world to have its way with you. In other words, it's like the world can do with us whatever it chooses to do. And we are the putty, the clay in its hands. Remember, this passage of scripture is written to believers By this, we understand it is entirely possible for Christians to be subtly or not so subtly conformed or squeezed into the world's mold. New Testament scholar Kenneth Wiest paraphrased this expression that we're looking at in the following way. He said, stop assuming an outward expression which is patterned after this world, an expression which does not come from nor is representative of what you are in your inner being as a regenerated child of God. He says, listen now, don't try to look like that which you are not. That theme just keeps coming up over and over and over again. The Apostle John gave us some helpful insights into how we need to understand this correctly. Because we might get a little confused on, um, well, listen, Pastor, what are we talking about? You keep talking about the world. The world. Well, listen to what John the Apostle, John the Age Apostle said. In 1 John chapter 2, verse number 15, a passage that you might be familiar with, he says, love not the world, Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
Okay, so, and then he goes on, all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, not of the Father, but is of the world. World passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. Okay, so again, what is he saying here? He's saying, love not the world. But the same apostle, John, could be a little confusing because he's the one who wrote in John chapter 3, verse number 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So what is it, John? Love not the world, or are we supposed to follow God, who the Bible very clearly says, for God so loved the world? Well, first of all, in, in a very basic fashion, understand what world are we talking about here? We're talking about two different worlds that describe different aspects of this world. Though the word that is in our text, be not conformed to this world, that is a different word than the word that John uses with love not the world. In John 3.16, it's the word cosmos. The word cosmos. This means that God loves that which he created, the world and those that are in it. God said, I, I so love those people that I sent my son to die for. But when we get to love not the world, that's a different Greek word. It's the word ion. Ion. It means age or an era. It means that there is something going on very specifically in this age. The Bible helps us understand that the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abides forever. Love not the age. Love not that which is going on in this present day. This system that is diametrically opposed to the plans of God. He's saying don't give yourself to that. Paul is saying there is a new day, a new age, a new world coming. It's the world you were created for. This world is only to point us to and prepare us for the world that is to come. There's a rather famous quote from a person named C.S. Lewis. Notice what C.S. Lewis said. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Do you remember the old, the old song, only Jesus can satisfy your soul? You know, there's a wonderful truth in that. There's nothing in this world created to give ultimate satisfaction. That comes in the world that is yet to come. So we're made for another world. Therefore, we must not allow ourselves to adopt what we refer to as a secular rather than spiritual way of thinking. You say, well, what do you even mean by, by this secular way of thinking? Secularism is a way of defining life that makes man the measure of all things. Now, did you catch that? Think, all right. Secularism, this secular world that we live in. Okay, secularism we would define as mankind is the summation. He's the end of all things. He is the measure of all things. But is that really where everything begins and ends? Or is there something, rather, someone who is the measure of all things? It appears that Paul's thinking about this in Romans chapter 12, verse number 3. Okay, our, our next verse in our passage. Here it says, for I say, through the grace given unto me, 
to every man that is among you not to think of himself, listen to this, more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Okay, so not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Let me ask you, does the world think more highly of itself than it ought to think? Do you and I ever have a tendency to adopt that rationale, that kind of thinking? Have you ever said with your mouth or at least with your mind, they have no right to talk to me that way? Okay, fine. You're going you're gonna to start that? Listen, I'm going to tell you who's going to finish that. Nobody does that to me. Okay, we get this idea that, that, wow, we are a pretty substantial part. We might not be the absolute center, but we're really close to the center of the universe. Secularism is this idea that really makes mankind, and let's be a little bit more personal, you or me, the center of all things. Listen to how Paul warned the believers at Colossae. Now, listen, if you have a copy of Scripture with you, which I think even in this digital age is helpful to have. If you have a copy of scripture or you can, you can make a note in some device, why don't you look with me? I'm gonna put the verse on the screen so it'll be there in a moment. But there might be some help in underlining, circling, highlighting a passage of scripture found in Colossians 2.8. Colossians chapter two, verse number eight. I'm going to wait for just a moment for you to get there, and obviously you'll look at this on the screen. There are some things that you might want to note visually in your scriptures about the process that the Apostle Paul is warning us regarding, and we're going to walk through this as to what bearing does it have on be not conformed to this world. Notice what he says, Colossians chapter 2, verse number 8. He starts with a word that gets our attention, beware. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Let's break the verse down, um, unpack this truth, and find out what is he saying to people like you and me today in, in, in some, you know, 2,000 plus years after the apostle Paul was seeing this in his own day. The first word there, beware. It means exactly what you'd think it means. It means be on guard, be on the alert, watch out. And then we might ask ourselves the question, beware of what? Now we're going to look at that in just a moment, but let's give some, some, some foundational understanding. He's going to talk about ideas. So when he says beware, beware of what, or we might even say of whom. Have you heard the word agnostic before? Agnostic. Okay, when we talk about an agnostic, we're talking about someone who says, well, you can't really know anything. Who can know? Maybe that's true. Maybe this is true. I'm rather an agnostic when it comes to God because what can we really know? <clears throat> this was not the spirit of the, the age, the problem of the day when Paul's writing, beware. He's really warning us of the Gnostics. The Gnostics. The Gnostics were all about the pursuit of knowledge. Hey, knowledge is the end of all things. We just have to keep knowing and growing. And, and listen, the sky's the limits for mankind as it pertains to our knowledge. Now, let me say, Christianity doesn't disparage knowledge. 
Don't use Christianity as your excuse to say, well, bless God, I just, I just trust Jesus, amen? Well, yeah, you should trust Jesus, but we should also know Jesus and know his mind. Let this mind be in you. Study to show yourself approved. But we also know that knowledge is not the end of all things. While Christianity doesn't disparage knowledge, and and Paul was certainly no mental lightweight, he is warning the church that there are those whose knowledge led them away from Jesus rather than a deeper understanding and pursuit of him. Wow. You mean knowledge was actually, yeah, people became so in love with knowledge that it actually took them away from rather than drawing them to Jesus. And Paul says, beware And then he says, lest any man spoil you. You know what the word spoiled there means? It means to be kidnapped. Like, lest any man spoil you. Like, wow, you were forcibly taken away from that which is good and now used for for ill purposes. Like, wow, this is sad. This is tragic. Now, let me ask all of us today, what's one of the major means by which minds are being kidnapped today? Well, that, that, that doesn't take rocket science to figure out. Through the means of what we simply and commonly refer to as education. Education. Does the world have an end goal in mind for its system of educating children, yes or no? Wow, it's, it's quite alarming to be honest with you. We're not going to take time to do so today, but we, we could fill up hours of agenda-driven education that says we're trying to take a kindergartner and we're trying to indoctrinate a kindergartner, not in those things that are true for all people, all places, and all times, not in common understandings of, of reading and writing and math and science, not in those things. We're trying to give a socially-driven agenda even to kindergartners. You say, well, where does that come from? Beware, lest any man kidnap you. Like, hey, we're coming after your children, and we're going to take them to mentally our desired conclusion. Paul's saying, beware, lest any man spoil you through what? Well, through philosophy. Through philosophy. And then he says, and vain deceit. You say, well, what does he mean by philosophy there? Again, if we just break this word down, phile, to love, and sophia, wisdom. He's saying there are those who are going to appeal to your love of wisdom, detaching it from the knowledge of Christ. And he says, beware. Do you know, whenever I start to, in my own mind, come to these conclusions that begin to subtly liberate me from the truths of this book, the Word of God, I am in a place where I should beware. You mean the Bible speaks plainly about this? Yeah, but wait, 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 wait. But what if we start to consider this about marriage? You know, the day in which we live, I mean, come on, you start to just think about our culture, our society, I mean, everything that we know today that they didn't know there. Wow, now I'm detaching myself from the anchor of the word of God. And he says, beware, lest you're kidnapped through through philosophy, the love of wisdom, and then empty deceit, vain deceit. The the words are entirely inadequate to convey that which is to define a Christian. The love of wisdom, 
That is not the end all for Christianity. We are to study, to learn, to grow, but not because we love wisdom as an end in itself, but because we want to grow in our love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then he says, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The traditions of men, the rudiments of the world. Now let me pause here for just a moment because it's easy for us together, like, hey, we're, we're a bunch of believers in this room and let's point our finger at those bad people who beware lest they pull you aside. They're gonna kidnap you because of this love of knowledge and this vain and empty wisdom. Um, to what end? Well, like, wow, the traditions of men. And then the rudiments, the, the foundational things of the world. Christians. When Christianity becomes more connected to the traditions of men than the eternal truths of Scripture, we have also come to a place where we should beware. It's okay for us to have traditions that we're drawn to, that help us in our worship of God, that we know this is why we keep this tradition. But when tradition becomes more important than truth, we also should beware. It's subtle, isn't it? I mean, it is, it is one of those like, oh, wow, how did that get in here? This tradition that now I have divided against another believer, I'm, I'm going to kind of plant my flag in the ground and this is where I stand. And it's all based on our traditions. Is it okay to have traditions? Yes, so far as that tradition aids in my understanding, my worship, even, Lord, my culture, the day in which we live. Hey, these are our traditions. But now when that tradition is more important than the truth upon which it is based. So he says, beware after the traditions of men, the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Do you know what the word tradition there means? The word tradition there, it's almost like Paul's giving a little jab to these teachers. The word tradition there, it means like the old hand-me-downs. How many of you are not the oldest kid? Raise your hand. How many of you got hand-me-downs from your older brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, ah, you can, I'm done with this. You can have it. Well, it wasn't good for anything, you know. You saved it for the next child. That was very nice of you, okay? So, so these are just hand-me-downs. You know, this, I'm the original, but now here you can have the leftovers. And do you know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, listen, all they're doing is giving you the rehashed lies that have already been distributed. It might be repackaged. It might be represented, but it is nothing more than a pack of hand-me-downs that didn't work in the first place, and it's not going to work now. So how does being conformed to this world really happen. He's warning us, he's saying, hey, don't let this happen. Watch out, stop. How does it happen? It happens by continual exposure. By continual, subtle, almost imperceptible change. It's like the slow erosion that takes place over a hard rock, but, but after continual drop and drop and drop and, and the friction from the smoothness of the water, it makes actually the smoothness of the hard stone. 
Something is modified in ways that we thought that's never going to change. And listen, I've been watching it closely and I've not seen any change. And yet change it does. We begin to slowly develop tastes for that to which we are continually exposed. It usually begins with exposure in small doses, but, but happen it does. We develop tastes for, a liking to, a pursuit of that which is not consistent with who we are truly intended to be. Think of the sources that are continually before us. What is it that is constantly before you? Let me say that once more. For all of us, think of that which is continually before you. I mean, do you modify because of what is constantly in front of you? Sometimes the thing we're keeping in front of us all the time is what do other people think? What do other people think? Okay, what do they think? And what do they think? And what do they think? And, and our whole mind and now our whole psyche, it's like, what do I have to do because of what that person thinks? What is continually before us? Uh, what do I want because my flesh is in control? And now I continually keep this in front of me. My flesh says it wants this. My flesh is in pursuit of, and so I continually keep things in front of me, and now I start to modify, rationalize, retool my thinking because I want something, at least my flesh does, and so I start to pursue this, and it's inconsistent with who we are. Even after we, we have been pursuing things, we say, I don't like this, I don't want this, I, but, but here, pursue we do. What is it that is continually before us? Is it a person, a device, a goal, a lust, a fear, a failure? What has captivated your attention? What are you feeding on, to put in quotes, religiously? Do you know these things that we place continually before us have a powerful ability to start to almost imperceptibly change our thinking. To summarize this first point, Paul is saying, don't allow the world to subtly change the way you live so that you are living externally in an inconsistent manner that is not reflective of who you truly are. Question, are you living as you are truly? Is the person you are looking at in the mirror this morning the person that God truly intended you to be? We're not going to go further than this first point today. Our time is gone, but I pray our thinking is not. God has created you, child of God, to bear a resemblance to the one that we refer to as our Father in heaven, our brother, Jesus the Christ. So the man in the mirror, the woman who looks and sees a reflection of herself, there's a passage that we will close with, and it's Psalm chapter 17, verse 15. Listen to what Scripture says. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake 
with thy likeness. Campus Church, the world is a powerful modifier of the external. It's doing something in ways that are forcing us into its mold, a shape that God never created you to have. Rather than some press to stamp out some image that's reflective of that which is not Jesus, we're supposed to live a more organic Christianity where you and I are continually growing into his likeness.